in the book of Exodus has been mentioned. We're in chapter 4, so if you have a Bible, go ahead and turn there. Um, So this week uh, at the Tatum House, um, we actually added a new member to our family. His name is Shark. He's a betta fish. He's blue. Uh, James saved up money, and he bought him this week. We went to Petco, uh, picked him up, and on the way home from Petco, James and I were, were talking on the way home, and the thing that we talked about for most of the trip was, what should we name this, this fish? So James put a lot of thought into it, and uh, after we got the tank set up, we put Shark in his new home uh, on the uh, dresser in James's room. Uh, James, worked, James worked really hard and created this sign that he put in front of the tank, and he taped it down, did a real nice job with it, like a, like a sign that you might see at like a zoo or an aquarium, and it says, uh, Sharkly Tatum, and uh, it also said that uh, he's a crown tail male beta, um, and so I was, I was thinking about this sign that James made uh, for his fish, because uh, a theme of this week's passage uh, is signs. And uh, signs are everywhere in, in life and in our world. And so a sign is basically a physical display that communicates something for the purpose of getting you to respond in a certain way. It's communicating something about something, trying to get you to respond in a certain way. So, for example, what does James's sign communicate? Kids, anyone, adults, anyone? Yes, Kate, what's it communicate? No? No, don't know. Anyone else? Okay, yeah. That he is a, like that kind of fish. Yeah, the type of fish that he is. Yeah, anything else? Fish has a name. Fish has a name. Cool name. It's part of the family. Belongs. Fish belongs here. And the sign also has a purpose. Like James wants you to respond in a certain way. What's James trying to communicate and get you to respond in a certain way with this sign that he's made? What's he trying to get you to do? Yeah. Call it shark. This fish has a name. It's called shark, so refer to my fish as shark. <laughs> so there are lots of other examples of signs that we see every day. Um, one that I was thinking about was like road signs. As we're driving, see road signs all the time. What's an example of a road sign? Anyone? What? Railroad. Railroad. You want to pay attention to that one, right? It's telling you something important. What happens if you don't follow the railroad sign? You'll get crushed. You might get crushed by a train, so you should pay attention, right? It's a good one. Or like a, a curve's coming up. If you're going to just like keep on flying through there and not pay attention to that, uh, you might fly off the road. Yes, Val, you have a question? Or? Uh, stop sign. Stop sign. What happens if, what's the stop sign trying to communicate? Yeah. You need to, res- the appropriate response to that is to stop, right? That's good. Great. <clears throat> There's also uh, lots of other signs. I'm in marketing and advertising. Uh, so another sign that I think about would be like billboards on the road. This is an example of signs that oftentimes we see and we're like, eh, I don't know that I'm going to pay attention to that one. I don't know that it really applies to me. You know, um, Advertisers are, re- are putting signs out in front of you constantly trying to reveal something to you. Um, about a product or service that exists that maybe you didn't know about. They're trying to tell you your life would be much better with it, that you should pay attention, that you should go out and buy it. But our brains are very good at tuning out signs like that, ignoring them, saying, that this doesn't really apply to me. So if I see, like, I'm driving by and I see a sign for women's clothing, like, doesn't apply to me. I'm not going to do anything about that. You know, I'm just going to keep on driving. <clears throat> so signs are everywhere. And a major 
uh, theme within the book of Exodus is signs and how God uses signs to display his power and his character. Um, And also God introduces signs for his people to respond um, to what he's communicating to them so that they can respond in obedience and identify themselves as his people. So that's what we're talking about this week. Um, Let me pray for us and we'll jump in. Uh, Father God, we thank you for this day and for this time. Uh, We thank you that we get to gather as your people uh, through Jesus and that we get to be reminded about how you've revealed yourself to us and what you communicate to us uh, through your word, through the Exodus story, uh, how you redeemed and rescued your people, the Israelites, and also through Jesus um, and how you redeem and rescue sinners and make them your children, God. And so we just pray that you would speak to us through your word um, and that you would teach us and God, just that we would become wor- uh, uh, worshipers of you. Um, we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so last week, Nicole taught um, in Exodus 3, Moses has an encounter with God. So even though he's not seeking God, he's out on the mountain of God. He's tending to his sheep. He's got his shepherd's staff, and uh, he's not seeking God. He's not looking for God. He's not looking for a mission from God, but God shows up in a burning bush. And Moses doesn't know it's God at first, but he's curious. This bush isn't burning up, and so he approaches the bush, and the bush speaks out to him, and it calls him by name. Uh, refers to him as Moses. Um, and then the bush reveals itself to be God. And there was a lot of back and forth in this conversation between God and Moses, and God reveals that he's the God of Abraham, the God of his forefathers, and God reveals that he's seen the suffering of his people back in Egypt, and that he was going to send Moses, I'm going to send you back to Egypt to redeem and bring my people out of Egypt. So Moses asks, why? Why me? And rather than giving Moses a list of all these reasons for why he was the right man for the job, God just says, I'll be with you. Like, that's his response. Why me? I'll be with you. So in our text today in chapter 4, which we're about to pick up on, uh, we pick up on that conversation between Moses and God. And in the second half of the chapter, we pick up on the narrative where Moses uh, begins, he heads back to Egypt, which is the, the place and the people there. Uh, that he ran away from 40 years ago. Uh, So we're going to read at the beginning of chapter 4, verses 1 through 9. It'll be up on the screen in front of me if you don't have a Bible. It says this, Then Moses answered, But behold, they will not believe me or listen to my voice, for they will say, The Lord did not appear to you. And the Lord said to him, What's in your hand? And he said, A staff. And he said, Throw it on the ground. So he threw it on the ground, and it became a serpent. And Moses ran from it. But the Lord said to Moses, put out your hand and catch it by the tail. So he put out his hand and he caught it and it became a staff in his hand. That they may believe that the Lord, the God, uh, that they may believe that the Lord, the God of their fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac and the God of Jacob has appeared to you. Again, the Lord said to him, now put your hand inside your cloak. And he put his hand inside his cloak. And when he took it out, behold, his hand was leprous like snow. Then God said, put your hand back inside your cloak. So he put his hand back inside his cloak. And when he took it out, behold, it was restored like the rest of his his flesh. If they will not believe you, God said, or listen to the first sign, they may believe the latter sign. If they will not believe even these two signs or listen to your voice, you shall take some water from the Nile and pour it on the ground. And the water that you shall take from the Nile will become blood on the dry ground. So... We see that Moses is kind of picking up on where he left in the last chapter. He has a lot of questions. 
and he has some concerns about God's plan. So he says, here's the deal. What if they won't believe me? What if they won't listen to me when I get there? What if they say, the Lord has never appeared to you? Um, so as we kind of look at that, it seems like Moses is he's questioning the Israelites' faith. He's like, what if they don't believe? Um, but if we take a look a couple verses earlier from last week in chapter 3, we kind of see that there's more than meets the eye to what Moses is saying there that reveals more about his heart. Because in verse 18 of chapter 3, like God just tells him, he's like, you're going to go and you're going to deliver this message, and the Israelites, they're going to believe you. you know? So God already tells him, they're going to believe you. <clears throat> so, uh, but God's, God says, I hear what you're saying, but what if you're wrong? Um, but I do identify with Moses here, right? I mean, he's, he's just like walked into the situation. Like God is just beginning to reveal himself to him. So I kind of get it, you know, like God's asking him to walk into Egypt, most powerful, like, you know, world power, you know, at the time. He's supposed to tell the Israelites that the God of their forefathers appeared to him, um, hasn't showed up for a very long time, but he appeared to me. And then he's supposed to go and tell the, power, this, the powerful leader of this nation to let his slaves go. So, you know, can kind of understand that, that Moses is asking for, I need some help here, you know. And God is patient and he's gracious with Moses. And so he gives him these three miraculous signs to help the Israelites uh, to believe. But it's also for Moses to believe, too, because Moses is still, like, dealing with his own faith in this situation. And he needs help to believe as well. <clears throat> so these uh, signs that we just talked about, there's the first one, which... Uh, Moses is a shepherd, so he has a shepherd's staff. So God tells him to take it and throw it on the ground. It turns into a snake, which freaks Moses out. It would be probably a pretty large snake, so understandable that he would be scared of it. And then he picks it up by the tail, and it turns back into a staff. And then uh, the second one is he puts his hand in his cloak, and he pulls it out, and it turns leprous, which means it's a skin disease that's very bad. Um, but then he puts it back in his cloak and pulls it out, and it's healed. It's fine again. And then the third sign, which uh, Moses couldn't perform because the Nile River wasn't there, is he could say, if you have to, scoop water out of the Nile River, pour it on the ground, and it'll turn to blood. Um, the Nile River was a really important part of the Egyptian life. It was like the center of their world. So, talk with me here. What, uh, what do these signs reveal about God? Yes. We can come back to you. You want to think about it? Anyone else? Yes. That God is powerful. Yeah. Yeah. That he's powerful. That's a good one. Yeah. Major thing. Anything else on that one? That he's willing to work with the doubt process. Yeah. That seems to be like a lot of what this exercise is. Yeah. Yeah. He's meeting. We're going to take care of it. Yeah. That's right. Yeah. Yeah, that's good. Anything else that God reveals through these signs? Some of the things that I was thinking about is that God is showing that he has power over creation, you know? Like, he can create a, a snake and make it a staff again. That he has power over, like, diseases, you know? It's like, if you were a leper, like, you were, like, sent outside of the city. You were, like, get away from here. So being a leper was a very bad deal. But God had power and authority over these diseases and things like that. <clears throat> and even he had power over the Nile River, which is like the center of life for the Egyptians and for the Israelites there. It's like they existed based on 
that river, you know, and so to turn it to blood, like, God has power over that. So there's also something that's kind of uh, unique about the third sign. Can anyone, does any, did anyone pick up on anything that's different about the third sign from kind of the first two? Can you read anything like that? He didn't turn it back. He didn't turn it back? Like okay. The snake, he turned it back to yeah. his Yeah, yeah, that's and a good point. He turned it back, and then the river, he never turned it back. Yeah, yeah, he didn't, yeah. Yeah, that's right. Kind of like the gauntlet. Yeah. It's not good. Yeah. Yeah. There's a sense that um, the first two are given to give the Israelites faith and give Moses faith, you know, because he's revealing himself. But then the third one is actually the first plague. It's one of the. It's the first of the ten plagues. So there's this idea that like give this to them so that they would believe. But if the Israelites still don't believe after that second sign. They're gonna, like God's going to show them like the first plague. So there's a sense of like that disbelief kind of at some point crosses in and turns into like judgment, you know, from God towards them. All right, so let's pick up in uh, verse 10. We're going to read some more. It's going to be on the screen. Uh, it says, uh, But Moses said to the Lord, O oh my Lord, I am not eloquent, either in the past or since you have spoken to your servant, but I am slow of speech and of tongue. And then the Lord said to him, Who has made man's mouth? Who made him mute or deaf or seeing or blind? Is it not I, the Lord? Now, therefore, go, and I will be with your mouth and teach you what you shall speak. But he said, oh, my Lord, please send someone else. And then the anger of the Lord was kindled against Moses. And he said, is there not Aaron, your brother, the Levite? I know that he can speak well. Behold, he is coming out to meet you. And when he sees you, he will be glad in his heart. You shall speak to him and put the words in his mouth. And I will be with your mouth and with his mouth. And you will teach And will teach you both what to do. He shall speak for you to the people, and he shall be your mouth. And you shall be as God to him. And take in your hand this staff with which you shall do the signs. So, uh, Moses pushes back here. So previously he was worried that Israel wouldn't listen, uh, but now he's worried that he won't speak well. And so God addresses them both here. Um, He tells Moses, hey, I am the maker of ears and mouths. I can determine who hears, who speaks well. And he tells him again, he says, I will be with you, Moses, and I will give you the words to say. And then at the end of that, he says, he gives Moses a command. He says, now go, I will be with you. So up to this point, like chapters three and four, like there's this back and forth conversation, kind of negotiation uh, between Moses and God. And I'm going to put it up here. Ben's going to put it up here on the screen. It kind of goes like this. Moses says, who am I that I should go? It's a good question. It's reasonable. And God replies, I will be with you. Moses says, what's your name? God says, I am what I am. I am Yahweh. And then Moses responds with, what if they won't listen to me? And God says, show them these signs. He says, but I don't speak well. So God says, I will be your mouth. Now go. So Moses at this point has exhausted his questions. He's tried everything he can to get out of this role and this task that God is giving him. So at this point, he just says, please, God, send anyone else but me. So this is kind of Moses crossing over into disobedience to God's instruction at that point. Like God had said, it's like, I'm giving you everything you need. Now go. And Moses just says, I don't want to. Like, send someone else. Send anyone else but me. <clears throat> And so it says that God's anger was kindled against him. And 
This is actually the first time in Scripture, or the first time that Scripture records God's anger burning against someone. Um, God could have easily broken out of the bush, like as the fire of God, and consumed Moses in that moment in his wrath. But God shows that He shows His character. He shows that He's compassionate with Moses. He shows that He's slow to anger, and that even in Moses's disobedience, not wanting the job, his weakness, God provides for him. Um, in fact, God has already sent Moses' brother, Aaron, to him. Um, he's on his way now. And so uh, we see that it was God's will uh, for Moses to do this job. But even in Moses' like, not wanting to take on this job, even in his disobedience, God is still like, sovereign over that situation. He's not um, you know, scrambling to figure out a plan B. He's actually already, in knowing how this would go, he's already sent, like Aaron is already on his way. He knew that Moses would respond this way. And so he's sovereign over that situation. And so he, uh, he says, take this shepherd's staff with you. And he says, I'm going to send you into Egypt. Use this thing to perform signs and miracles. Um, I didn't say why I have a staff. It's a little weird that I have a staff. Uh, uh, if you were at City Church uh, eight years ago when I became an elder... Ben and the elders at the time, they gave us these shepherd staffs, you know, just as a reminder that as a pastor that you're shepherding God's people, you're caring for them and protecting them and trying to lead them. Um, But a staff, specifically a shepherd staff, would not have been a very noble thing to walk into Egypt with. Like the Egyptians did not think highly of shepherds, you know? So even walking in and saying like, the sign of my God and his power is going to be demonstrated through a shepherd staff is pretty crazy just to think about. And so he's saying, I'm sending you back to Egypt. Take your staff. That's what, that's what we're going to do this with, you know? <clears throat> All right. So um, that's the first half of the chapter. This conversation between God and Moses kind of ends. And then at this point, Moses is sent off to do this work. So the second half of the chapter, uh, we don't have time to read through it. don't have uh, time to unpack it verse by verse. So I'm going to kind of quickly summarize it. But if you didn't read it this week, like, please go back and read it as you're uh, reading chapter five for next week. Uh, But here's what happens. So Moses leaves the mountain. He goes back and he gets permission from his father-in-law, Jethro, to take his family and go back to Egypt. And so he takes his sons, or his wife, Zipporah, his uh, two sons, a donkey and his staff, and he heads out on this mission that God has given him. And on his way back to Egypt, Moses has three different encounters. Um, The first two encounters are with God, and then uh, the third encounter is with his brother Aaron. And so in this first encounter that uh, Moses has, God shows up and he speaks to him again. And he gives him further instructions. And uh, God tells Moses uh, that in addition to showing these signs to the Israelites, he's like, I want you to show these signs uh, to Pharaoh as well. But instead of him responding well, like God said the Israelites would, uh, which would be in belief and worship, God says that he's going to harden Pharaoh's heart, that he's not going to respond well. That he, and so because of that, Pharaoh is going to experience judgment. Specifically, that God is going to kill his firstborn son. Look with me in uh, verse 22 of chapter 4. God says, Then you shall say to Pharaoh, Thus says the Lord, Israel is my firstborn son. And I say to you, Let my son go, that he may serve me. If you refuse to let him go, he's speaking to Pharaoh here, God is 
If you refuse to let him go, behold, I will kill your firstborn son. So what I want to point out with just this this encounter right here, I think, uh, is that God addresses Israel as his son here. Um, And this is the first time that God has referred to, it's the first time he's used that father-son relationship to communicate his relationship to his people. And it's super important in the Exodus story, but also through the rest of Scripture. Um, But also Pharaoh's Pharaoh's judgment, like the Pharaoh, the judgment that God has for Pharaoh, it feels really harsh, but it matches his, his crime. Like it's eye for an eye, and that's the cycle of the world. That's the way it is. The only thing that breaks that cycle is grace. Pharaoh has abused God's firstborn son, Israel. He's cast him in slavery. Um, so because of that, his firstborn son will die. So that's the first encounter that Moses has. The second encounter... If you read ahead, this is the one that's a, it's a little odd. It's a little weird, you know? It's, uh, it's a little mysterious, you know? Um, here's what happens. In verse 24, we see that Moses and his family have stopped for the night on this journey. They're camping out. And the Lord confronts someone in their party with the intention of killing them. And so it seems that the person, although it's not explicitly clear in the language, it seems that the person that God's about to kill is Moses. Um, Could potentially be his son, but it seems like it's Moses. Um, What is clear is that the reason for all of this, for God kind of breaking out uh, against uh, Moses and his family, is because Moses' son is not circumcised. So here's what happens. Moses' wife, Zipporah, She intercedes in here. She kind of steps in like a priest, and she circumcises her son, um, and then she touches Moses. Um, And it's through this act of blood uh, that whatever Moses has done is atoned for, and then God leaves him. God leaves him him alone. He doesn't kill him. And there's a lot about this passage that seems to just kind of come out of nowhere, Um, it's like, what is going on here? Because like, God has spent this last chapter and a half like, calling Moses, equipping Moses, like saying, I will be with you. Uh, they're going to listen to you when you go and show them these signs. And then all of a sudden it's like, wait a second, now he's going to just like, kill him? Like, what's going on? So um, studying through it, I, I think like, what it seems like God is communicating here with the last encounter that God has just had with Moses, God has just drawn a line between the firstborn of God, the Israelites, his covenant people, and the firstborn of Egypt, which is the world, you know, the people that are under judgment. And so on one side of this line is grace and life um, relationship, but on the other side is judgment and death. And circumcision was the sign that God gave Abraham for the people of Israel for them to display that they were part of the covenant people of God. So it was a visible sign that they belonged to God and that they were therefore under his grace, that they were under his care, um, that they were his people. But by not circumcising his son, Moses is effectively treating his son like he's a part of Egypt, that he's on the other side, the wrong side of that line, that he's under judgment, um, rather than being a member of the covenant people of God. And so God's sending Moses in to do his work, and so he takes this very seriously, it seems. 
So that's the second encounter. Um, the third encounter uh, that Moses has on his return to Egypt is actually a really joyful family reunion. Like Moses probably hasn't seen his brother in 40 years. Like we didn't even know he had a brother until like his conversation with, with God here um, in, the, in this chapter. Um, and so God has already sent Aaron to partner with Moses to speak for him. And even though Moses is, he's just experienced a super close encounter, like God has almost killed him. He's almost experienced God's judgment because of his sin. But God shows that he is faithful to his word, um, that he's providing for Moses. Even, even, even through Moses' weakness, his sin, his failures, like God is faithful in that. And so there's this great, beautiful, joyful family reunion that happens with, Joseph, uh, with Moses and his brother. And then after that, after those three encounters, uh, Moses and Aaron, they return to Egypt together. And they do what God told them to do. They call the elders together. And then Aaron shares everything that God had told Moses, because he remember he was, he was Moses' mouthpiece. He speaks well, so he's speaking on Moses' behalf, what Moses tells him to speak. And then Moses performs these signs, miraculous signs that God has given him. Um, the first two signs, you know, is, is what the text indicates, you know, as opposed to like needing to go to the third one. And so the chapter, chapter four, it ends in this really beautiful way. And this is what it says in verse 31, if you want to look with, with me. It says, and the people believed. And when they heard that the Lord had visited the people of Israel and that he had seen their affliction, they bowed their heads and worshiped. And so the chapter ends on this really beautiful note. It ends with, Belief and worship. It ends with like a right response to these signs by the Israelites. So, um, what are we supposed to take from this chapter? Like, you know, 2,300 years later, as the people of God, you know, are we supposed to be going out and asking God to perform signs for us? Are we supposed to be making sure that we perform circumcision? You know, no, that's not what we're taking from this. Um, the two things that like, I wanted us to get out of this passage today, and we'll put, it, we'll put them up on the screen. It's number one, God has revealed his character and power to us through signs. He's revealed himself that way. And these signs are not meant for entertainment purposes, um, but rather, like, signs point to something. And God uses them to call his people to a response of belief and worship. Like, that's his intention with putting those signs out there. In all of Exodus, this book that we're studying, um, the whole thing is a sign that points to something greater that God has done. Even greater than the Exodus, it points to Jesus. Um, Jesus is a greater Moses who, in his ministry, he displayed even more miraculous signs than what Moses was able to do uh, to demonstrate that it truly was God who sent him, that you could trust his words. Um, Jesus is also, he's a greater Zipporah, Moses' wife. He's a better version of her because he steps in between us and the righteous judgment of God that we deserve because we're on the wrong side of, of the line, so to speak, because of our sin. Jesus steps into that space as a priest and he allows his own blood to be shed so that we can experience forgiveness, so that we can be made right with God. And in Jesus, we have the most important signs that God has ever given us. And those are the signs of the cross and the empty tomb. So Jesus' death and his resurrection. And there's no greater sign that God will give us to demonstrate who he is and his character, how he feels about us and pursuing us, and just what he has done. Um, 
in the Gospels, uh, specifically uh, in the book of Matthew, but is the one I'm referencing, but throughout all the Gospels, like Jesus performs all kinds of signs and miracles. And many people see those signs and those miracles and they believe him, but there are a lot of people who don't believe him. Uh, particularly uh, the religious leaders, the Pharisees, the Sadducees, the scribes. And there's this passage in Matthew 12 where the Pharisees and scribes, they show up and they say, hey, Jesus, uh, we want to see a sign from you. Like, prove you are who you say you are. And keep in mind that, like, Jesus is doing all kinds of signs. Even, like, just a few, like, sessions earlier in this passage, like, the Pharisees, it says that the Pharisees started to conspire against him because he had healed someone on the Sabbath. So they had seen signs and miracles and wonders. And so what they were wanting was something very different here. And so Jesus responds and says, an evil and adulterous generation seeks for signs, but no sign will be given to it except the sign of the prophet Jonah. You guys remember Jonah, kids? What happens with Jonah? How long was he in the fish's belly? Three days. So Jesus says, that's a sign that you're going to get. And, but what he is saying is that he's not spending three days in the belly of a fish. He's going to spend three days in the ground after he's crucified and buried before he resurrects. And Jesus goes on to say, something better than Jonah is here. Because he's talking about his crucifixion and resurrection. He's talking about like all of these signs are pointing to him to pay attention and respond to what he's saying. So signs are not meant for entertainment purposes. Signs point to something, and God uses them to call his people to a response of belief and worship. And so my prayer for us as a people, as salt and light, is that we'll respond rightly to the God who has revealed himself to us, um, and that being a part of the covenant people of God, um, that we'll remember that being a part of the covenant people of God is not based on our actions, it's actually based on trust and faith in God. That's not new. It always has been based on that. That's what makes us the people of God is trust and obedience in God. Um, But God also wants us to respond to him like the Israelites did at the end of chapter 4, where they heard his message, um, that he had sent someone to rescue them, and that they believed and worshipped him. That's what I want us to respond with, is to see what God has done, to see those signs, to see what he has done, and to respond in belief and worship. Um, But also, um, God also gives us a visible sign to show to the world that we are a part of the covenant people of God. And so in the Old Testament, that was circumcision, but now God has given us baptism. So we're going to be doing baptism the week after uh, Easter. So if you haven't been baptized, like, it's a great opportunity for you to show your church community, your family, the world, and say, like, hey, I'm a part of the covenant people of God. Um, and so when we baptize uh, someone, we, uh, uh, that person is saying that they identify with Jesus, that they identify with his death and his resurrection. And as they're lowered down into the water and raised back up, it's a sign to everyone around them uh, that they belong to Jesus and that Jesus represents them. So if you haven't been baptized, maybe consider that. It's an important sign, you know. Um, now we're going to take communion. So... Grab your juice and your bread. Um, So as humans, we need regular reminders of these signs of God's power, reminders of his character. Um, And we see that most clearly 
on the cross um, and in the empty tomb. Like As Christians, we are people of the cross and the empty tomb. So just like Israel, uh, every year they took a Passover meal and they did that to be reminded of God's power, his presence, his redemption uh, in the Exodus story. Uh, we also take a meal and we take it every week here at Salt and Light um, as often as we gather. Um, and we take a meal uh, to remind us of God's power and presence in Jesus. And so uh, as we take the bread, um, the bread which represents Jesus' body, uh, let's remember uh, that his body was laid in a tomb after he was killed to pay, or after he was killed to pay our ran- ransom. And although his body was broken for us, God displayed his power by raising Jesus from the grave. So as we eat this bread, remember Jesus and remember the enemy of death that has been defeated. And we also take the juice. And this juice represents Jesus' blood. The wages of sin, the wages of our sin is death. Like that is the judgment. That is a consequence of separation. But Jesus willingly shed his blood for us to make us redeemed and righteous children of God. So as we drink this juice, let's drink and remember the sign of the cross, Jesus shedding his blood for us. Stay. So um, I want us to pray together. I want us to respond. And so we're just going to take a minute and pray um, as Daniel and Stacy will come up and lead us in some songs here in a minute. Here's what I want us to do. I want us to take a moment and just consider, like the Israelites considered the words of Moses and Aaron, that God had pursued them, um, that God was planning to redeem them, they believed and they worship. So just take a minute, bow your head, close your eyes, and let's just kind of think on that, just kind of meditate on that. Uh, the sign of what it represents uh, for Jesus to come and lay down his life, to redeem us, to purchase us back, even though we deserve death and we deserve judgment, he purchased us back by his blood. Just take a minute and let's pray about that. Let's thank God. Let's respond in worship. Let's respond in belief and worship. to us God, through Exodus through your mighty hand um, saving and redeeming your people using a, a shepherd 
to go and perform miraculous signs because you uh, were with him. You empowered him to do that. God, we thank you that in the story of Exodus that we see um, an even better picture of redemption, of how you sent Jesus as a representative to redeem a lost and broken world who is on the wrong side of judgment because of our sin that separated us from you. Okay, we deserve judgment and wrath, God, but in your grace, you revealed your character of being gracious, slow to anger, loving and kind and pursuing us and laying down your own life, Jesus, on a cross um, to make us your children, to make us uh, sons and daughters of God. Thank you for that. God, we thank you that Jesus is not dead, that he did not have to pay the penalty of our sin and that he doesn't just lay in a tomb somewhere, but that after three days, we have the sign of the empty tomb of a resurrected king and a hope that what you've done in Jesus that you will do to us as well. So death has been defeated. God, thank you for what you teach us through your word. Thank you for what you reveal to us about yourself um, and these signs. May we be people who hear, who listen, who respond in worship and obedience, God. Help us to listen to what you want to teach us. We pray these things in Jesus' name.